Well, if anyone's going to have a toxic fan base, it's white nationalists. Hello and welcome back to episode 10 of the Double Reel Film Podcast. This is the second reel of our monthly magazine-style podcast for film nerds. Hopefully you have caught up with the first reel, had a brief intermission, and refueled ready to take on this mighty second installment of Nerdy Film Chat. If you haven't caught the first reel yet, please do go back to your app and download and listen to it, so you're up to date with all the features we've covered already this month. These include our roundup of news and spotlight on some of the films we've watched this month, our classic and recommended feature on CSA, the Confederate States of America, our hidden gem, One Night in Miami, the one that got away about Spike Lee's Save Us Joe Lewis, and our remake Hate Watch of the Steve Martin Pink Panther reboot. Now in Reel 2, we bring you our big conversation, where we tackle a weighty topic and give it a fuller, i.e. longer, discussion. This month, we are looking at the phenomenon of toxic fandom and how it affects the film world. At this point, I'd like to hand over to my co-host, James Adamson. Uh, thank you for that lovely introduction. Uh, yeah, I can't remember what quite inspired this um, this topic. What was it that kind of made us go? Let's do a t- let's do a discussion about this because I thought it was um, Star Wars after um, what was it? What was that shit one called? Well, the, the last two were shit, but I think it was the Episode Eight, the Last Jedi. Yeah, I think we, we, we talked that. about. I think we I think we talked about Star Wars beforehand. The thing that inspired me most recently to do it is I think I mentioned Rick and Morty to you and how I was really enjoying it. I thought I'd go back to the beginning and start it again. And you said you couldn't cope with Rick and Morty because their fans are a bunch of man man children. Oh. And uh, I think I I had a vague recollection of what they were about, and then I read I read one or two of the incidents. Thought, oh Jesus Christ! And although it's a TV show, not. Uh, not film. I think it's a perfect example of the kind of toxic fan base that we're thinking about. The the classic examples would be there was a campaign to bring back Szechuan sauce because that happened in the uh, in one of the TV episodes, which is quite fun. And McDonald's decided to it was like the it was from the, the old Mulan, uh, the original Mulan film uh, promotion, and they decided okay, if the fans want it, we'll bring it back. Let's join in the laugh. And then it ended with some Rick and Morty fan screaming and shouting and stamping his feet. In a, in a McDonald's and berating a member of staff because they'd run out, and you just think that these people need to get out more. And then there was a whole um, there was a whole season that they claimed wasn't as good as previously, and they blamed it on the fact that they'd started hiring women writers. And I think in in microcosm that kind of explains the kind of toxic fandom that exists these days. And and like you say, I think film film fandom is what we would like to focus on. Uh, to see what examples of that there are in the film world and how it might be influencing what films people make, how people make films, or how the films that get made are, are received. There's a, it's a, it's a bit of a troubling phenomenon. We just thought we'd like to dig into it. Okay. Yeah, no, the um, the Rick and Morty one was a bit dodgy. I mean, you're always going to have really nerdy fans of, of a fan base, but the way people talk about Rick and Morty is if it's the funniest thing that's ever been made. And it's not, it's not that good to get that public about to the point where you're in a McDonald's jumping on the counter for a thing of Szechuan sauce. Like it's, it's all right, but it's not that good that I'd religiously defend. I don't think there's any film or TV show that I would religiously, you know, get up on a counter in public and defend it. To, like I would not die on this hill for my favorite TV show, the way that that guy did just to, yeah, uh, it's, it, it is weird. And it's almost as if in some cases is, We'll, we'll obviously we'll dig into it. Is is it the fandom? Is it the thing they're a fan of? What what is what what is it that makes them kind of you know, click, in, click in like this? Is it there, those kinds of people are out there and they will become a fan of something and this is and this is how they act, or is there something in certain genres or 
that you know that that that, more, that attracts these kind of people more and and i think that's i don't know we don't know if we'll get the answer to that but it it, it did interest me because there does seem to be a lot of it about yeah i think it's a it's a, it's a they're certainly typecast and i think we can kind of narrow it down to what demographic it, it might be because everyone's passionate about a film like i didn't like the um the last two star wars films and episode seven was a bit lazy but and i do have a big passionate star wars fan but i wouldn't you know i wouldn't go to the point of you know racially and you know sexually abusing not sexually abusing but you know what i mean like throwing sexist yeah. comments towards a staff a member a member of the film yeah staff just because I Th- this is the film. yeah this is the thing and the thing is obviously people like have passionate responses to things which go too far but i think it's the case of it's it's becoming normalized and you know you know how i like to kind of throw in like an old historical reference and try and draw a line to it but Film has always had a very powerful effect on people. I don't know if you're aware of an incident that took place in about 1916 when films were starting to get big and, and people who were in films were starting to become stars. But there was a single day in America where there was this kind of um, uh, mass hysteria all over the country. There were 800 different sightings of Charlie Chaplin in all sorts of different places. You know, they saw him walking past a, a shop in, in one city and then walking past, you know, you know, turning up in Detroit and, and dressed as Charlie, you know, Charlie Chaplin off the, uh, the off the films, not what he would be wearing his normal clothes, um, and that even someone who saw him in a in a sailboat out at sea sinking, and there were eight eight hundred separate reports of him, you know, on on a single day, and it, it was a kind of mass hysteria which people put down to, you know, the you know films on the big screen, uh, you know, the the emotions that can be stirred up by a good story. It was all very new, and people had suddenly be kind of uh, latched onto films as this really massive phenomenon, and, and people kind of got a bit hysterical about it. And I, I mention it because I think great, you know, stories, writing, film, television—they can always obviously have this effect on people. And becoming a fan of something has that element of, you know, why would someone get so excited and scream when they see their hero just because they like a film they were in? But but they do. It, it does create this relationship with the fans. And then, if you you know the original toxic film fan was John Hinckley, who tried to assassinate Ronald Reagan because he watched Taxi Driver and thought that Jodie Foster was sending him secret messages. Right. Um, and there was a time when that kind of intensity was very clearly seen as being you know madness, insanity. That person needs to be locked up. And now you've got people, whether it's because the internet makes it more possible or because there's just so much more of it that we've become kind of used to it. That there's this kind of unhinged element to fandom which is everywhere now and kind of seemed to be almost part of part of normal film fandom almost it's it's just so common now um yeah although i wouldn't i think i think everyone's passionate about something i think it's just the way that people express it i think there's yeah I think you can't quite narrow it down. I think you can narrow the Star Wars and the Rick and Morty demographic down to white twenty-six-year-old males who've never seen a boob kind of <laughs> kind of demographic. Mm-hmm. But you mean you get toxic fan. Remember the big discussion right now is um, abuse being fired towards um, footballers um, and referees, uh, managers. You know the Newcastle manager Steve Bruce, and uh, we're, we're yeah. two Newcastle, we're two Sunderland fans, but we we don't condone the abuse of Steve Bruce. And he's been getting death threats because uh, so Newcastle have been pretty shit this season in the Prem. Mike mm. Dean sent off a player after checking uh, the video referee, and he got death threats. The which seems uh, unfortunately seems to be endless um, racist abuse towards 
and a number of players, Marcus Rashford, actual twins, AB, yeah. Reese James. It could go, unfortunately, that list can go on and on. It seems yeah. to be that you can't quite narrow it down. I think it comes down to like a mindset. I think when people are yeah. so passionate about something, I think when it comes to football, the reason I'm so passionate about football is that I've spent a lot of money watching our club like whether it's been going to Wembley traveling all the way down from Scotland to go down to London buying tickets you know for you your dad you to go to some of the game and we get passionate and we'll shout at the players there's I've never once wanted to shout at a death threat I think it's about conveying your emotions properly and I don't think that's I think when it comes to online what, what baffles me more is that you have time to type up 240 characters or even longer if you're writing an article you have time to type that up you have to read it do it like you know a proofread make sure there's no spelling with it you know what I mean like you've had time you've calculated that and you've always had the opportunity to click delete see if you were to say something in an argument where you've just lost your temper and you've said it then and then in the moment okay it's not good but if you you know if you say something hurtful not condoning anything racist, but if you tell someone to fuck off and they take offence, that you can kind of get away with saying, "Look, I said in the moment I lost." You say, head. "Yeah, like, you know, feelings are running high. I apologise." But yeah, it's there's something more deliberate about it. Isn't but if it? you type it out and then send it, is something that I've you know I've never managed to kind of get my head around. Um, yeah, and and obviously, if you use the analogy of football fans, I think there's um, I think there's something in that when you look at you know even before the modern day, like you know you could you could send death threats via the internet to 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 a referee because they've all got a Twitter now, you know? Yeah. And once upon a time, if you wanted to send a death threat to, to, to Mike Dean, you'd either have to find out what his home address was or send it care of the Football Association, you know, and buy a stamp and, and, and go to the letterbox. And now you can sort of really send it. But, but even back then, there was there was almost two kinds of football fans, wasn't there? There was the people who, who went along and, and sang really hard and, and support their team. And then there the ones who were the hooligans who would – you know, it wasn't enough to just see their team beat the other side. It wasn't enough to see their team kind of, you know, sing a few songs and uh, and uh, you know say something insulting uh, in the in the stadium and then go and have a drink and laugh about it afterwards. Yeah. Then there's the the people who meet up for a, for a fight in a car park um, and and they think they they think they're defending their teams on it. They think they are fighting for their team by beating up you know opposition you know, like-minded hooligans of another team in a, in a in a car park. And there's almost that kind of, I think there's this sense of they feel like they've got something special. They're a special group. They're a, you know, they're a firm or, a, you know, they're a, a special club who are fighting the good fight and, and care more than anyone else does and have more invested than anyone else does. And, you know, the opposition that they fight, you know, deserve a kicking because they're from the, they're from the wrong team. There's an element of that mentality in people. And obviously some people have latched onto forms of entertainment to almost have a similar mindset. Yeah. I think it's an interesting thought about the kind of hooligan football fans, because um, while I don't care if they meet up in a car park in the middle of fucking Basingstoke and kick the shit out of each other, that doesn't bother me because it's that's to me seems like natural selection. If someone gets hit in the head and dies out of that group, well, it was your fault for being a fucking idiot. That's just the way I see it. It's when it starts spilling over and it starts, you know, being hurtful towards people that don't deserve that kind of abuse. Yeah, I've had my fair share of calling the referee a dickhead when they've made a stupid decision because you know it's my club and I'm passionate about it in the moment. But I think the referees are kind of used to that. You know, they're used to being told, yeah. you know, fuck off and like, you know, you know, there's that kind of famous who's the bastard in the black kind of thing. But yeah, I think they, they understand the difference, don't they? 
Yeah, and I think you have to have a kind of, like you look at referees like Mike Dean and um, Martin Hansen, they've got a bit of an ego about them because you, you would have to to do that job. You've got 50,000 fans who are almost baying for blood because they want their team to do so well. When you cross the line and start sending death threats, I think that's when it's just a bit too mm-hmm. a bit too much. But I think toxic fandom like kind of presents itself in many, many ways. Like, what did I notice on Twitter the other day? Um, oh, what was it? It was like a... It was like a massive One Direction fans reply to to a tweet. No, so what was Captain Tom Moore had just passed away. Rest in peace, an absolute legend. Yeah. Um yeah. did more for this government. Um did more for COVID uh, patients than the fucking government did, did more for the NHS than the government did. He's an absolute legend. And um Louis Tomlinson, former member of One Direction, posted a tweet underneath it just saying, you know, rest in peace, you know, an absolute hero, gentleman, that type of thing, which is nice of him to do. But One Direction have got this mental fan base. They've got the, mm. they've got the most ridiculous and kind of ignorant fans. And this girl replied to it saying, "Oh, Louis, you haven't tweeted in a few days. We missed you so much. Ha ha ha. When when are we going to hear from you next?" And some shit like that. The tweet's been deleted now. You're telling me you didn't read that tweet and think, "Oh, maybe I shouldn't fucking reply to it." And like, there was another one yesterday on um, Jurgen Klopp's mother passed away. Eighty one. It's Sad, may she rest in peace as well. Jürgen wasn't able to go yeah. back to Germany to see her because of COVID restrictions in Germany. Yeah. Um, few, I think a few football clubs replied to Liverpool's tweet, um, you know, just saying rest in peace. And someone replied to it. I know it was a joke, but it's a really badly timed joke saying I'm selling a PlayStation 4 with these two games. DM me for info. It's like <sighs> things like that. It, that it's like it's like it's like people don't seem to un, like have any social graces anymore it's the internet equivalent of people going to the supermarket in their pajamas it's like come on what what happened to just basic good manners you know i mean i'm working in a supermarket right now and i don't care if you go to the supermarket in your pajamas just keep fucking two meters away from me that's another <laughs> story that's another <laughs> if you yeah. can make that into a big conversation you've got at least seven hours of content from me there <laughs> but um yeah when it comes to toxic venom i don't think it's just exclusively those white beta males who no, it, it's like people get together in groups and start to get really dumb, don't they? It seems to be... You know, yeah, it's the same with... It like, seems to be how they do it. People, it's not necessarily in the, in, in the media as well, you know. I would call people that support Trump religiously. They're not a fandom, because I don't suppose it fits the right kind yeah. of profile, but the way that they will completely religiously follow them and they will, you know say whatever they want because they're in support of this you know it's it's a different kind of area but i think people just when people are so passionate about something they don't know how to pre- like represent or you know convey their views effectively um well if anyone's going to have a toxic fan base it's white nationalists mm-hmm. nazis let's but but um, nazis what's he going to do see, now, from, from, yeah, from a film point of view the first example i i saw of this it's going back a few years now of this kind of mentality, because there's always been cult fans of films, but it's always been, oh, I'm just going to go and watch it. You know, I'm going to watch Rocky Horror Show in costume. It was that kind of passionate fandom of films. But the first example I saw of anything like what we see so much of now was when Daniel Craig was announced as the new James Bond in about 2005. And he came in and, um, you know, w- w- was unveiled and sat in the press conference and everyone, you know, chatted away. And uh, Daniel Craig at the time had a, you know, sort of a nice side parting with like a floppy blonde fringe over his forehead. And 
some people just took it upon themselves to say, oh, a blonde-haired James Bond, he doesn't look right. This is ridiculous. This is, you know, he's they've ruined James Bond. And for for some time, enough to get reported in the newspapers, enough to actually get back to Daniel Craig that this was happening, there was a campaign to have Daniel Craig fired as James Bond before he'd even made a film. And Daniel Craig said something, you know, in the build-up to Casino Royale that hearing that there were people who weren't convinced that he could do the job made him, you know, all the more committed to, you know, it made him give even more effort to try and be, you know, get it right. And I think, you know, most people agree that Casino Royale was a terrific film. Um, but it was the, it wasn't just the fact that, God, I wonder what could be done about hair that's a bit too blonde for a part. Are there, are there any solutions for that? Are there any solutions for hair being the wrong color? I can't imagine what you might do about that. Secondly, he hasn't even made a film yet, but the fact that they sort of felt like they owned these films enough to say they should have him fired is is part of the the, the phenom- phenomenon that I think we see today where people are like, it's like they think they're the ones who should be in charge and they're really cross that they aren't. And they feel like everyone should stop and listen. And, and um, they also seem to think that having a, a film or, a, or, a, or a, a piece of entertainment designed by the fans without, you know, say a writer and a director kind of choosing how the film should be done is somehow going to make it better. It's like, you know, it's only uh, it's only a, a, a quirk of fate that they're not the next Steven Spielberg and they should be the ones defining how the film should be instead of just paying their money and either enjoying it or not, you know? Yeah, but... I agree. Is it's so? I don't know if it's just because we're looking outside, in on you know these kind of topsy families, but I, I just can't quite wrap my head around it. It's. I mean, the, yeah, like you say, I mean, Star Wars is the one that's probably been the most high profile recently, and I've heard people say things like, you know, filmmakers are steering clear of being involved in Star Wars because it's got so toxic, um, and the, like you say, I was. I enjoyed episode seven, but looking back, I can see that that was actually where all the problems started in the latest trilogy. Um, and the reason I enjoyed it was it was basically a, a competent filmmaker in J.J. Abrams who knows how to make films just doing a remake of A New Hope, which yeah. is, you know, so that will have exciting things in it. And it'll have a Death Star blowing up and it'll have an evil Jedi, you know, and all of those things. So of course it was enjoyable, but looking back, you just think that didn't, you know, that didn't really, you know, inspire me the way, you know, and I know I was a kid when the first lot came out, but do you know what I mean? And I was very disappointed by episode eight. I thought it was crap. Um, But I found myself similar to how, how I found myself with the Ghostbusters remake. It's almost like you open your mouth to express your opinion that you think the film was shit. And before you know it, you're hearing this chorus of, hatred spewing out about it from people who really ought to be in a secure institution and you always think i don't know if i want to get involved in this conversation now because i I just want to say i didn't like the film like a normal person i'm not sure i want to be part of this chorus of of sort of you know violence from these people you know yeah i think the the definition of toxic fandom there's a few kind of like definitions of the kind of same they mean the same thing but basically it's that a person believes that they have the only correct way of appreciating certain content and therefore they will they will attack other fans or even the people that create that content um, because they believe their opinion is right even if they've not even got the full knowledge or they, they're only using secondhand sources as their um, as their uh, the, the way they're forming their ideas but 
I think you've got to kind of separate from the fact that you're allowed to like and dislike films. You know, I didn't like the latest Star Wars um, trilogy. I thought it was absolutely shit. Upon reflection, Episode Seven is just lazy because it is a, a New Hope remake. But, you know, I didn't like it, but I'm not going to go and send J.J. J. J. Abrams a death threat. I'm not going to go make mm. racial comments about Kelly Marie Tran or John Boyega. I'm not going to make sexist comments towards... Daisy Ridley and things like that. I didn't like the film. I didn't like what they did with the story. I didn't like how it fit in terms of canon and things like that. I thought it was a. I thought it was a bit shit. But that's it. That's the end of the line for me. It's disappointing. It's a letdown. And instead, I just go and watch the Mandalorian. You know what I mean? Like that's that's the yeah. way I look at it. And that's the way that's the, you're allowed to be passionate about something. You're allowed to really enjoy a film. You're really you're allowed to really dislike a film. You can write mm. a massive essay about how angry you are about how crap that film was and how you would like to have seen it done and how lazy and how you think it's just a massive money and cash you, grab. Yeah, there's any That's number fun. of places people can go and do that as well nowadays. You can fire, just stick it on your own Facebook status if you want. Don't fire misogynistic abuse towards Kelly Marie Tran because of because I mean I thought her character was shit in the Star Wars films as well I thought she was a non-eventful character which is it was a nice opportunity for an Asian American to have a prominent role in a massive franchise and it was just kind of shit she basically just kind of up trying to be you know John Boyega's love interest spoiler if you haven't seen it don't watch it the film's shit but you know she was a bit of a an, a non-character she didn't do anything but did i did, yeah. but did i dislike a character enough to send her a vile message on instagram to the point that she she deleted all of her social medias in mm. in the end i don't know if she's yeah and, and that's a real up. shame because you know it's like it's like you say i don't think she was very good i also don't think in fact i know she didn't turn around to the script writers or didn't have the opportunity to turn around to the script writers and say can't you write me a better part than this no yeah. She was, you know, you know, the ninety nine people just like her are waiting tables somewhere in Los Angeles because they didn't get the break she got, you know. Yeah. So, and she's going to be in Star Wars. She must have went when she got cast to be in Star Wars. She must have gone. Oh, this will be great. Of course she did. And it's the people to blame are the ones who did, a, a, in my opinion, a terrible job of the writing and structure of that film. Who all, you know, we've, we've mentioned it before. It's not rocket science. You need you're writing a series of episodes. You need someone to actually have an idea about how those episodes run, and and then you give it to people who know what they're doing. Write a good story. Good writing is really important. They fucked it up. They did a massive fuck and up. That's, and that's by the by. At the end of the day, the film shit. We don't like it. And for us, that's the end of the day. That is it. That's close of business. We don't give I mean, a fuck about you know any more of it. I didn't like it. I won't pay. An, I won't pay an extra ten quid to watch it at the cinema again. I won't pay the fifteen quid to buy the Blu-ray when it comes out. That's where that's where my interest and fandom ends with that. But it's yeah, this. And, and the thing is, what I do want, I do, I do understand that people have been waiting for years for a new Star Wars trilogy, and they're fans, and they want the the franchise or the it's it's always a franchise isn't it it's always a, it's usually a property of some kind that's going to have several films around it yeah. and it's obviously there's this level of disappointment because they're sitting there going oh but I wanted to go to this film and enjoy it the way my dad enjoyed the first lot or I want to enjoy it the way the people slightly older than me if they did enjoyed the prequels and there are I've heard people defend the prequels and they feel like they've been cheated out of an experience. So I understand why they're upset. Yeah. And I can understand them writing, you know, I'll tell you what, write to J.J. Abrams, write to whatever her name is, the, the the main producer, and say you think they did a terrible job. You're allowed to give feedback. Yeah, tweet you know the guy, what I mean? tweet but the feedback you? and say, I thought your yeah. film was shit, mate. But don't don't say, and also I'm going to murder your family and string you up in the street, you know. Just say some of the things they do to people. Because yeah, some of the things they do to people who've um, – 
sort of incurred their anger just really just go beyond the pale where they try and find their you know their home address their personal details they do um the doxing where they actually will pu- publish that people's details online so that other assholes can kind of threaten them and attack them and they get phone calls to their home just think God, i mean it's bad enough when people do that say to like a, a journalist or politician who's um involved in something contentious it's entirely wrong and ought to be stopped in those cases but at least you can understand someone having the motivation to do it but someone made a film you didn't like when you could probably honestly you can pause it switch on netflix and watch something else two seconds from now how is this making you angry enough to you know like you say to threaten people as much as they want to be a fan of something you know like you say the, the fandom doesn't have to begin and end there you can go and watch the original films the you know you can watch the spin-off tv shows star wars rebels and clone wars and like you say watch the mandalorian there's there's plenty of star wars for you to be a fan of it's like if i was going to get really motivated about about the terminator series you know i mean I, and i've said this jokingly to to people there are only two terminator films you know, I refuse to acknowledge the existence of the other Terminator films. They're absolutely shocking. McGee should not be allowed to direct films as far as I'm concerned. This is just, but you know what? This is just me saying my opinion. Do you know what I mean? Who gives a shit what I think, you know? Yeah. And 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 the, the idea that I might go and sort of start bombarding James Cameron saying, you know, what did they say? Oh, you've got to re- remake the trilogy, but remake it our way. That was one of the things I said about Star Wars. Well, someone did a recut of it with all the female characters taken out, as if having female characters was the problem. You just think, Jesus Christ. And the thing is, these people are so, um, they're so lacking in perspective and so um, uh, easily led in a sense that this is the sort of thing that like Russian bots and kind of, you know, professional internet trolls immediately jump on because it's so easy they're so easy to manipulate these people and create a fuss and create unpleasantness on the internet because these people are just sitting there waiting to, um, you know, they're like, they're like, you know, uh, you know, rent a mob. They're just so, you know, they're just ready to like point their noisy faces at, at something else they don't like or that someone else has told them not to like half the time. Yeah. I mean, what do you think, what do you think causes it? Because, you know, I've, that that guy in the McDonald's for the the massive Rick and Morty fan, he that, that just blows my mind. I mean, that's I suppose that's toxic fandom in a different sense. I mean, he's just a bit of an embarrassment. He's jumped up on a counter and made himself look silly, and the McDonald's staff probably had a laugh at it afterwards. And he was like, "What a fucking freak!" You know, he's banned from the store. He's never allowed to come back. Kind of thing. That's not as bad as obviously messaging, you know, Mike Dean on Facebook saying you're going to kill him because he went against your football team. But do you think it? Do you think it, when it comes to like the Star Wars films and the passionate support of Rick and Morty and the the kind of the the backlash towards the Ghostbusters film, you know, um, this kind of thing? What do you think causes it? Do you think it's because it's it's a kind of more modern, in quotation marks, woke society, or do you think it's just that people are more likely to yeah. fire abuse at folk on the internet when they know there's no repercussions and therefore they feel as Im- Im- they feel really impassioned and they can say whatever they want. And because there's, th- I mean, there's little to no consequences unless you, you know, you've got your public, you've got your name on it, but if you've got like a kind of fan or a Stan account where it's just a picture and they don't mm-hmm. actually know your name and it's just an email address that they can't, you know, re- kind of trace back to you. Do you reckon that makes people, yeah. you know, be kind of keyboard warriors because, um, 
I think I, I think there's a lot of what you're saying there. I think there's um, this sounds like a really luddite thing to say, and I'm not trying to blame the internet for this. I think it's the fact that the internet makes it easier for this stuff to happen. You know, it's like if you watch Black Mirror, Black Black Mirror isn't saying that technology is bad. Black Mirror is just saying that when a new opportunity arises, the dark side of human nature will will come out in that technology. Do you know what I mean? Technology makes more things possible. Some of those things are going to be amazing, and some of those things are going to magnify some of the worst aspects of, of human nature. Um, so part of it is, you know, I, I don't know when you were reading up on this, I, I, you know, you're Googling kind of toxic fandoms, and part of it was just to try and, you know, if, see if there were any example of toxic fan bases that I, that I hadn't heard of. Uh, a fun one was um, fanatical supporters of the Sam Raimi Spider-Man films who troll any new any maker of a new film because it's not the Tobey Maguire version. And even the video games, it's like, okay. Um, okay. <laughs> and, and I think when I was, you know, when I was Googling all this, I noticed um, people were referred to as Kathy Bates's character in Misery was the first toxic fan. Um, because, you know, she, she literally um, uh, imprisoned the the writer of a book that she was a fan of and 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 abused and, and and threatened him because he started doing something with his writing that she didn't like you know she killed off uh the character they'd been writing and tried to write a different story and he he burned the manuscript that he had of of you know the because t- it's a, you know this book was written in the 80s so it's a typewritten manuscript it doesn't have a copy of it she burns it and makes him write a new uh, novel about the old character because she she thinks that it, it you know it belongs to her, and I think back then the idea of that it was almost kind of an outlandish thing because what what series of circumstances would have to come about for you to have that level of contact with the people who make the film or the or, or the or the or the story or whatever it is and and what and even to be honest you don't have as much contact with the people who who watch anything other than the films that you like. So, you know, if, you know, for example, would you be aware of fans of most films? Unless, like I say, it's Rocky Horror and everybody's dressed up in fancy dress and they're, they're in the pub outside the Prince Charles Cinema and they're about to go in and watch it. You wouldn't know if everyone in that in that room is a is a James Bond fan or a Marvel fan or a DC fan or whatever. You might, you could go, to, you can go to conventions and see those people. But the fact is, all the people who've made the effort to go to a convention dressed as their favorite character are kind of... Uh, a they all go to, you know even even when they go to comic book conventions and there's rival properties there everyone is the kind of person who makes an effort to dress up and go to one of those things they're not the kind of people who sit at home bitching at each other but now the people who sit at home bitching about it are no more than a second away from someone they can have an argument with about it because technology brings them closer together technology exposes them to more other films more other opinions and and because it's so easy to kind of shout and have a go, and and that sometimes tr- makes more noise and attracts more attention than a calm and balanced viewpoint, th- there's almost this kind of, um, uh, you know, it's like the conditions when an, inf- an infection can break out. Let's get trouble because there's this almost combination of factors all simmering at one time. You know? Yeah, I think I think there's I think we both agree that there's no harm in in fandom itself. Fandom is absolutely fine. If you want to dress up as your favourite character for a convention, that's fine. It's all about the way you manifest your opinion and how that is shown correctly. Um, I don't... 
I don't know. I think certain environments just, I think, create toxicity, and I think the internet is one of them. Um, other things would be, you know, I've never seen a, a rally between, you know, Trump and anti-Trump protesters be peaceful because those Americans are incapable of having, having a discussion. They, they end up just shouting at each other and bringing out a, an AR-15 and someone gets shot. That's That seems to be how every single discussion in America goes, and that's why the country is such a fucking mess. But when it comes to I, that, I, think, I think I think you're right there is the element there is a cultural thing now where it's not the films it's not the technology so much it's the fact that I think people have almost got they've turned into just or some people have turned into just a naturally more aggressive and uh, you know belligerent um you know style of of discussion and and people have forgotten how to have um just basic respect for each other in a way you know yeah, and it's. I mean, I I don't know what else you want to touch on with this, but the, I think the the interesting thing would be we could maybe talk about is how we would tackle it, because yeah. it's, it's I noticed that when especially during the um the start of the Black Lives Matter thing, especially in the Premier League and football in general, and people were taking the knee and they're still doing it now. But I remember Harry Maguire put an interesting uh tweet out. Which I didn't expect to come from Hannah Aguirre. I think he, I, I just associate him with being a big no-nonsense centre back. But he actually had quite an interesting thought where he said, "If you want to have a Twitter account and a Facebook account and an Instagram account, it all has to be linked to either your driving license license number or your passport number." And mm-hmm. it basically it would eliminate any um, any you know. Well, maybe not eliminate any because some people might still be as brash because you know some people are just fucking idiots. But it might it would eliminate any or not it would eliminate ninety odd percent, I guess, of people being rude towards each other on the internet because they know that the repercussions could be there. It's it's interesting that that you bring up there. Yeah, you know, it's like you say, it's uh, it's an interesting idea that Harry Maguire had there. I think the, the the bit of it that I think is interesting is the idea that you would have to kind of give your, give yourself identifying information in order to have a social media account. I think that's very interesting. Obviously, people should be allowed to have an, an alias and not necessarily give everything under their full name and address on the internet. However, if the people allowing them to have a social media account are able to trace them as a real person, I think you could regulate the um, the standard and the, 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 the fairness of the discussion better. I think there's, there's that fine line, isn't there, between regulating speech and regulating behavior because I think people should be allowed to um, hold the views that they do and people should be allowed to express their you know their their views and, and have the right to freedom of speech but if they do that in a way that spills over into something that's damaging I think Twitter should be able to say right look we're, we're suspending your account and that's much harder to do at the moment when there are so many anonymous accounts automated accounts and as soon as you delete one they start another one if you can't have an account until you're a verified person, and then as that verified person, you're then a little bit more accountable for your behavior, I think you could see an improvement. And I think that is one aspect of the solution. So it's a very interesting thing that came about there. Like I say, it's the idea that you have freedom of speech in a town square, but you're a lot more identifiable when you're doing it. And if someone you know grabs you because you've just spilled over into inciting a riot, then you know, you've got a problem. And I think taking away that, it's not taking away anonymity because you, you, the fact is people need to be able to, you know, use the internet without their personal information being available for all to see because you could <laughs> get your identity stolen. But if you if you had to remain accountable for your behavior because you're not a robot, that would be, that would be a good start. Um, 
So in terms of other things that you could do to to fix it, I mean, I, there's, there's a couple of things you can you can look at there. There's the idea that the, the things that are actually a problem with this kind of like toxic fandom is it's the fact that they're gatekeeping other fans. It's like they're saying we're the only true fans. You're only allowed to be a fan of this if you abide by by our rules. It's this kind of need to kind of exclude others. It's berating the makers of the films, the critics. I know it's like DC want to ban all critics from reviewing their films, which ought to tell them something about the quality of the films that they're, they're, they're fans of in the first place, you know, and having a go at rival fans and, you know, and it's the fact that it's an easy sort of channel for the alt-right to pollute the world. In terms of what else you do about it, I think it's... um. I think it's a case of one, you know, just a little bit more accountability in in, in the, uh, the 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 information that people spend. But I, I think we need to get back to promoting the right kind of um, of fandom because motivated fandom can be a really good thing. I don't know if you've heard of a film called Nightbreed. It's a horror film based on a Clive Barker novel, no, and no. Um, it was one of those classic examples of a film that was compromised when it came out. They took it off the director. Um, you know, and cut it to pieces, and the final version that you saw in the cinemas wasn't the right, um, uh, you know, wasn't the intention, and the, and wasn't as good as it should have been. And over the years, there's been word of there's there is a better cut out there that we should get, and there's been a campaign to have that restored cut um, brought back, and and it's finally seen the light of day. And because of the loyalty of those fans, Nightbreed has had a cult following, even though the film wasn't you know as successful as it should have been, and the the better version of the film is now being shown and shared and you, you know before all this happened there were going to be screenings of it and everything because fans weren't prepared to let go of the thing they loved and the idea of fans being so motivated that they're not going to let what they love die that they're going to keep supporting and backing the films that they love and going and watching them that's one of the best things about being a film fan i mean that's why we've got five different versions of blade runner you know that's why i got to see blade runner at the cinema at all because it came out on home video when i was a kid and the fact that it had that ongoing cult following and, and ridley scott said oh you know what maybe i'm going to stick the director's cut out because you know because the fans are out there you know the shining um has had this kind of second life because of the um you know, because there's so many Easter eggs in it and Kubrick's got these big fans and The Shining has this big cult following. Rocky Horror has it. You know, if you think of some of the, your favourite films or some of the films that you think are the best, I mean, Iron Giant. Do you remember Iron Giant when you were a kid? Yeah. It's a it's a cracking animation, but it flopped when it came out. But it, it survived because people thought, you know, this is really good. I've got a strong feeling about it. And without doing anything toxic, without berating anybody or threatening anybody, the fans are able to give you know, uh, to give something really important towards the success of a film. Same with Fight Club, It's a Wonderful Life, Highlander. So there's all, you know, even to something like The Greatest Showman, which isn't my cup of tea, but it got mauling off the critics. But the fans just kept going to see it. And they kept singing the songs and they kept putting the songs on, you know, YouTube, singing along. And, you know, there were sing-along shows, The Greatest Showman, and it was a hit um, because the fans loved it. And, that kind of fandom is a really positive thing. And I, I think we need to kind of promote more of that kind of fandom, you know? I think I agree with what you're saying in terms of, you know, that's a good type of thing to have. But in terms of eliminating hate, hateful comments and hate speech, I don't think encouraging people to, you know, just remember what the platform is there for or what it should be, how or how it should be used 
is enough at this point. I think it's a bit too far gone. With the, uh, I think this the thing I think about all the time is when Tim Berners Lee, you know, invented the World Wide Web back in what was it nineteen ninety something, yeah. you know, or was it even earlier than that? Was it not something? It was not even earlier than that. But his his vision for the internet is not the vision he would have imagined it back when he created it. Um, mm. And it's just it's too far gone now. It's because it's become such a toxic and hurtful environment where people will get into arguments with other people about anything. Um, you know, and you know, people think COVID's a hoax. People think this is a hoax. I'm not getting the jab because it alters your DNA, and I'm going to put a track mm. in. It's just become such a toxic environment. So when it comes down comes down to, if you if you say something really hateful and hurtful, like if you if you tell if you call someone an idiot and tell them to fuck off, I don't think that needs to be moderated by Twitter to the point that you get banned and the police get a knock mm. on your door because you've been naughty yeah. and told someone to fuck off. But when it gets into the stages of I'm going to kill you because I didn't like something you did but to my football mm-hmm. club, to my favourite film, to my favourite TV show, etc., then that's when I can I kind of have to agree. Not not necessarily that you can only have one social media account, but you know the same way that you have like a backup email address. I know this is a thing that I've noticed with Gmail is that you've got your Gmail address and it's also, it asks for maybe your Outlook just so in case you can't get into your Gmail. Just, yeah. So maybe you have your main social media and then if you have, so you've got like obviously your main social media, which is, your name and then you've obviously got the double real film film podcast on twitter and instagram yeah so yeah you could it, that would that would have to maybe be connected to your main james adamson page or whatever but yeah doesn't stop you from having the double real account it's just everything has to be connected kind of like a big web kind of mm-hmm. like a kind of tree with loads of different branches if you want to have that many accounts and it would eliminate you know and any need for any need for you know because suspending suspending accounts that aren't enough you you call marcus rashford a racist thing a racist term on twitter well you've now said something really hurtful to marcus rashford for no reason and the the damage is done whereas if you have that moment to think look i'm angry at a situation i'm angry at maybe maybe marcus rashford missed a penalty and you're angry because you lost a lot of money on a bet okay fair enough but if you have that moment to think, look, I could type something really hurtful right now and say something mean, but if I take a moment to breathe and realise there could be serious repercussions for this and then think about that, I think you're more likely to get a better response from that person to develop and yeah. nicer oh, de- kind of definitely the Definitely the fact that taking away that ability to just be an anonymous asshole while not yeah. taking away the, the basic protections of, of, of social media conversation. I think we just... I, I don't. You know, in the you know when you have things, an idea and and, and I, sorry, go ahead, mate. And the guys are giving things. I think this is where you get loads of you, you'll get loads of arguments from Tommy Robinson and cunts like that who are like, oh no, you're taking away my freedom of speech. Like you, you're allowed to express an opinion, but when you start inciting hatred and calling people the N word and saying it's you know inciting riots, yeah, and you know if someone says the opinion um, that you know those Black Lives Matter protests um, when we're meant to be socially distancing and staying inside during a pandemic, I disagree with them. You're allowed to have that opinion. I think your opinion is wrong, but I don't think it makes you a racist and I don't mm. think you should be banned because I can see your opinion mm. and I know that you're a fucking idiot and they, you can go and fuck yourself. Mm-hmm. But when you start getting into the really horrible, hurtful things where you start, you know, putting people's life in danger or being, you know, when it gets into, you know, gets into that horrible hate speech, you know, calling, calling a woman a slut for what she wears or calling someone, you know, Kelly Marie Tran plays a character in a film that you like, you don't like it. So you start shaming her for her weight and being hurtful because these things might seem like you can play them off as a joke or just like a comment that, you know, you need to have a thicker skin, etc. These things can have an effect on your mental health. 
you know, these are things that can be damaging and it might, you might play off as, you know, oh, it's nothing, you know, blah, blah, blah. this is just how me and my friends talk to each other all the time. But you don't, you don't know how that person receives that, and especially when they're probably receiving on a, on a regular and massive scale, you know, I think, I think is that enough's enough. And if you, if you don't like it, then you don't, then you're part of the problem. You don't, you don't have the right to your social media, express your opinion, but people know where the line is and where it is crossed. I don't think you should be allowed to complete, you should be allowed to express hurtful opinions and send death threats and things like that. It's, there's probably there's, as, as, yeah, as I mean, everything, with everything we discussed there's probably a grey area where what constitutes hate speech and what constitutes crossing the line but I think most people know what's unacceptable and what goes too far um, yeah but that's just that's just the way I see it I'm, yeah I'm just I, I, of, I agree and it's just yeah I think we, we need to find a way to make the better conversation drown out the shit conversation and yeah. you know I, I think you could you could so some of the some of the best things that happen on the internet are you know uh, things like you know we both like reweight uh, we we rate dogs on uh, on on social media they're on Twitter and on Instagram and sometimes just twenty minutes on that can cheer me up <laughs> no matter what kind of day I've had you know and um, I think we can do more than just kind of stop people like speaking and 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 that I think if so if someone's account has been used for hate speech. I think there should be different kinds of punishment for that. And one of those punishments would be that if they're not being banned altogether, they're just being suspended. There should be a period where the only thing, whatever they happen to say on their uh, on their social media is not what, what gets tweeted. The only thing that gets tweeted is that picture of the penguins chasing the butterfly. <laughs> so for two weeks, because you issued some sort of hate speech, the only thing that you're allowed to post is, um, is a happy picture of, of dancing penguins. And just because I think, that's something off the top of my head, but I think the, the the idea that you can have really fun films on TikTok, you can have really kind of cool things that happen in film, like you know, secret cinema. I know that's an expensive way to be of a fan of a film, but uh, other ways to kind of cult fandom is awesome, right? Um, you know, I'm going to get in another obligatory Mark uh, Mark Kermode reference because uh, I'm always uh, I'm always re- referring to Mark Kermode. And here comes the Kermode question, but. Ker- but Kermode's uh, latest film documentary talks about cult films. So motivated fans and, and fans with their own special kind of breed of support is great and it needs to be celebrated. But I, I think we need to kind of, you know, promote that kind of fandom. And I think I'm, you know, as, I, as I'm saying it, I'm thinking, I'm starting to think about how they fix things in football. And some of that is really cheesy. But you know how fan zones were quite fun at, at the last World Cup and there are ways to kind of make the film experience kind of more interactive and and, and, and supported and I'm not a big fan of corporate approved fun and I'm not a big fan of the official kind of fun version of things but I think we just need to find a way of promoting those aspects of internet fandom that are, you know that, that, are, that are enjoyable the fact that I mean I'm part of like a, a community of Sunderland fans who've just decided to to promote Steve Gutenberg as, the, as their favorite film star of all time <laughs> it's just it's it's good natured do you know what I mean and I think we need to find a way of like amplifying the good natured part of it and damping down the the, the evil natured part of it Yeah, and I, I I think the best solution is having a lot more security checks, a lot more verification to creating parts. Mm-hmm. I think another toxic, um, this isn't really, I don't know if it counts as a fandom, but the one of the worst things on the internet is football Twitter. You get these guys who make an account and they'll they'll name it something absurd like mm-hmm. 
they'll 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 you know they'll name it like they'll be a Chelsea fan and they'll like the player Mason Mount, so they'll make their Twitter handle mesmerizing Mount, and there'll be a picture of Mason Mount, and they'll just be they will be the worst cunt on the internet, and they'll post like fucking loads of stuff like oh. These players are, this players, and like to be honest, if you want to have that thing where you love the player, it's fine. But they are so toxic; they are horrible to everyone. You know, they're absolutely nasty. They, football Twitter has spawned some of the most hateful bile on the internet, and it's it's a disgusting place. And there's no re- and what happens is the account gets deleted. They make another one, mesmerizing mount two, basically, and what that's what happens, mm-hmm. and it goes on and on. And it's become it's become such an in, like it's become so. It's, bit, it's like an epidemic. <laughs> it's that kind of proportion. Yeah. Again, we, we, we've talked about football analogies a lot here, but one of the things they did about you know dealing with football hooliganism is that there was always a there was a small hardcore that would always cause trouble, and others that could be led onto it. And yeah. if, you, if you get rid of the small hardcore, a lot of those other ones will behave themselves. I think it needs to be moderated properly because there's there's been times where like you get. You know, you the amount of times I've had people on Xbox fire me abuse because I've beaten them in a game of something, and I've told them to fuck off, <laughs> and then my account's been banned because I've told them to fuck off because it's not moderated yeah. properly. It's done through a computer system where they just read yeah. the word "fuck off" and it's like, oh, we've well, got a communications ban for a day. Yeah, it, it, like, it needs to be grown up. The thing, yeah, again, the thing is, if you reduce the traffic down to normal people, yeah. Yeah. Then it is going to be a bit easier to moderate it rather than say there are eight, there are eight hundred million asshole messages on here. The only thing I can do to actually protect myself from legal liability is to cut everyone who's used it a swear word. That's yeah. why you get that. It's like yeah. the, the reason why coronavirus is causing a problem with these mutations is because there's lots of people infected. If there's hardly any infections, you don't get any mutations. Yeah, which is I know no, stretching the analogy really far, but the idea is is that if if you haven't got as much shit going down anyway. It's like cancel culture. The, the big justification always people throw back for cancel culture is there is so much of this homophobic language about we've got to do something about it. If there was a lot less of that homophobic language around and then someone takes exception to what's obviously an innocuous remark, you'd say, well, no, 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 we haven't got that kind of climate. We've, we've changed the climate. The climate is better. We can see a joke for what it is and no one has to get upset about that. Yeah, I, I think it's, 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 just, it's just reducing the sheer volume of, of the sheer torrent of shit that's out there. We've also got to have kind of kind of thick skin. There will be a lot of assholes out there. There's only so much that Twitter, Facebook can do. Where they, for example, say they brought that thing into effect, where mm-hmm. they had the, you know, the the driver's license thing or the passport number thing, and it was traced back to those person, etc. And they had that. You're still going to have assholes. You'll still have you'll still have the occasional person that sends you something horrible. And I think that doesn't make it okay. But you've also got to kind of take accountability. Like I can choose to be offended by this, or I cannot be offended by it. And you either got to be the bigger person and say, "Look, this person's a cunt. They've said a horrible thing to me. I've reported it to the police, and that's that." And I don't think it's okay for players like you know. Rashford, I keep going back to Rashford and Reese James, but there's there's heaps of black players that get horribly Raheem Sterling. There's so many, and it's a horrible thing. Oh, it's, they, like, it's like the newspapers join in on Raheem Sterling. It's no, disgusting. You, yeah, but they, they had a go at him because he bought a house for his mum, and then there was like, oh, look, no, 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 he had a go at him for buying a house for his mum. If I was a footballer, I'd be buying a house for you. I'd be buying a house for my mum. I'd be buying a house for your for everyone, for granny, granddad, for fucking everyone's getting a house for him on Raheem Sterling's money. I don't give a fuck. And the Raheem yeah. and the Raheem Sterling thing was that they picked on him for that, and then they picked on him when he went to fucking Greg's. It's like they couldn't make their mind up about whether they hated him yeah, for yeah, having money or it's, not it's, spending his money. Because they just want to have a go at them for the sake yeah. of it. And it's the, it's the same mentality. Like I say, I think a, a lot of this comes down to if the if the overall quality of the discussion is better, you know, you're going to find less heavy-handed moderation. You're going to find it a lot harder for people who who are, you know, taking offense, you know, too far 
you know, I agree with you. I think offensive comments should be stopped, but at the same time, people should be, you know, it is also very easy now to say, oh, this person, you know, I'm going to interpret a relatively innocuous thing in, in, a, in, a, in a negative way. And because there's so much actual offensive stuff being said as well, there is a danger that people get scooped up into the, you know, the, uh, the, you know, the witch's bonfire when they probably didn't say anything that bad. I think, I think individually, I think we're all capable of drawing a line. But it's so it's so easy at the moment for the discussion to get distorted, distorted in terms of the things people say that they shouldn't have said, and then distorted on the other side of things when they say, "Oh well, you've just what did I say?" And I can't believe I'm gonna I'm gonna defend Laura Koonsberg because I think she's I was fucking disgusted with the way she reported on the last election, but she said something about oh, this is now we're getting down to the nitty gritty, and somebody got up to her and said, "Oh well, actually nitty gritty was originally a, a, a phrase to do with the slave trade." Um, so you're a racist. And it's like, oh, the oh, fuck, fuck off. I think yeah. we've, we we are aware, you know, we've mentioned this before. So if someone says the great white hope, they might not know where it comes from. They don't mean I'm using the phrase great white hope because I don't want black people to be the world boxing heavyweight champion. It's so easy to get caught up in that, but it's it's harder to get caught up in that if the general standard of what people say to each other and how people treat to each other is better because the, the actual offensive comments will stick out like a sore thumb, you know? It'll yeah. be a lot easier to go, yeah, yeah, we can all see that one's offensive, right? But we're, we, we're okay to be normal over here. I think the point that we're trying to nail home is that as long as you're not being truly hurtful, you're threatening someone's life, you're belittling someone. I think toxic fandom and council culture both need to have the same kind of discussion with themselves. They're two, they're two the cheeks two of the, of the same arsehole, yeah. aren't they? They're the, two, they're the two things that we wish we could get rid of so that everyone else in this middle back, middle ground where you can be normal don't don't have to be affected by it. Well, no, we actually if said you, this. If, we actually said the same thing with cancel culture. We said that some people deserve to be cancelled, like Harvey Weinstein. Some people, like Aziz, as what's his name again, Aziz Ansari, didn't deserve to be mm-hmm. cancelled. Um, and it's all about well, that's, know, that, finding that's the that thing. balance. It's, it's like, yeah, it's not. There shouldn't be a cancel culture, but some cancellations should happen. You know, yeah, we're so on the fence. <laughs> like it's, <laughs> it's like, but I mean, if you if you bring it back to if you bring it back to film, which which we which perhaps we should. Wait, this um, is a film you, you, podcast. What the fuck have I been doing for all these months? <laughs> <laughs> but the. What you wouldn't want is you wouldn't want the the concept of toxic fandom to take all edge away from anything because no, no. you've got you've got fans of horror films who, by the way, when I was I was reading up on this, I saw very little toxic fandom amongst horror fans, and they're one of the most much maligned fans because everyone goes, oh well, if you like films where there's that much blood and gore, there must be something wrong with you. And the fact is, is that horror fans. I didn't see any examples of toxic horror fandom. They seem to be the most well-adjusted people of all of them. But if they turn up with a T-shirt that's got a, a horror thing on it, or there's a whole, you know, imagine they went to a convention and some of them were like dressed as rival, like horror, you know, characters and stuff. You could easily see that if we wanted to completely take any any edge out of fandom, they would be the first people to go because they're the ones who who uh, offend, you know, the most kind of delicate sensibilities and you know what we probably go a bit nearer than some people to the line but because every month we do a remake hate watch and we say horrible things about someone who we think's done a shit film but we think we're doing it within completely normal bounds but imagine if someone took that upon themselves to go oh well we're going to send hate mail to steve martin now you know it's like you the problem you know if you honestly you take the people who are the arseholes out of it and the rest of us can do much better with these same tools at our disposal if you see what i mean yeah, uh, it's, and, it's, and 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 everyone and everyone would ha- and everyone would still, as you say, have to just you know be be thick skinned because if if you if you if you read a comment on the internet that says 
you know that was disgraceful. That's an absolute. You know, he, he, he wants uh, he wants shooting for that um, for that for, for making that film. It was absolutely despicable. In the current environment, you could say, "Oh, he's just made a death threat." And he says, "But in a normal environment, you'd say it's just a figure of speech. Let, let's not worry about it." You know, yeah. and and. And 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 they have they've got to come to expect that they're going to get some criticism. There's going to be days when they've made a film that's absolute shit, and they know if they go on Twitter, they're not going to like what they read. I, I don't think problem, we should take that away. I think the problem with something like that is that again, the anonymity that comes with social media. If because you know you're you're under the handle of Double Real Film, film Podcast, um, someone could see that and think, oh, well, that's someone anonymous. We don't know where the threat's coming from. They can't trace you down, or they don't know where it's coming from. Whereas that's I guess that ties into the whole Hanny Maguire suggestion of. Having a bit I think I think trace, that's probably the strongest thing that we've had. traceability. But I mean, the thing it reminds the thing that reminds me of is because um, uh, we we've, we've we've talked we've, we've turned it to football a couple of times. So there's a funny story that someone read years ago. I think they were writing into the, the Guardian page about embarrassing encounters, and it was someone um, at a at an ATM in Liverpool. Steady now. I know they're not your favourite football club, but there's someone standing at an ATM <laughs> in Liverpool, like in the eighties in the 1980s at the cash machine. And it's Saturday night, they've been at the game and they're just waiting at the cash machine to take some money out just to go down the pub. And he's, he's in the queue and he's talking to his, uh, to his mates about the game. And I think they, they won 2-1, but it was a bit iffy because they're only 1-0 up and, and the other team got an equaliser and they laboured to a result a little bit. And someone's like, what about that chance rush missed? So that's disgraceful. My fucking dog could have scored that. What the hell was he playing at? It's like a completely normal conversation about someone having you know missed a chance. Yeah. And this is Ian Rush, who was one of the greatest players who's ever played Liverpool. And it's just a natural thing. He missed a chance one time. People are going to you know, say something about it. Yeah. And then the person who's collecting in front of them, collecting his money at the cash machine, turns around and looks really sheepish and goes, yeah, I'm really sorry about that. And it was Ian Rush. Because yeah. he, was, he was queuing at the same cash machine and you heard the fans slag him off. And the thing was, the fan said, I didn't want that to be my only interaction with Ian Rush. If I'd known that was Ian Rush in front of me, I'd probably say something like, you're my favourite ever player, thank you. Know, and, yeah, and, and, and shag my wife, let me kiss you on the mouth kind of thing. You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it's like, because because he didn't know he was there, He it, and, it, and it's not just a case of, you know, the anonymity takes away the, the, um, uh, the you know, the ability to be nasty. The, if if you knew that person was standing there in front of you, like like if, if I met Steve Martin, I would probably, I would hope that I would spend more time talking about the films of his that I liked. Yeah. Than about the films of us that I didn't like, yeah. but I think we all understand that we need to vent a little bit and say and talk about things that we don't like as well. And again, normal people know how to do this. Yeah, well, yeah, I think I think it all comes down to like kind of like you know credibility. I know if someone was to come after this podcast release, or someone listening now decides to tweet the comment, "This podcast is fucking shit," then fine, that's your opinion. Cool. What if they give a reason for disliking it? Then fair enough. If they start saying stuff like, oh, I'm going to fucking murder you for that podcast, I'm going to stab you, blah, blah, blah. then, you know, that that's you becoming a cunt for no reason. Go and fuck yourself. Um, and it's all about, you know, if you don't like something, reflect it in the right way. You know, don't... Why, why do you have to go as far as saying you're going to murder someone or you're going to do this to someone because mm-hmm. you didn't like something they produced on the internet? Like, there's, uh, yeah. there's far different things and if to you can't, And if you can't do that, you're out of it. Yeah, the problem I have is the, the, the only worry. The only worry, and I think you've touched on it, is that we need to do that cautiously. Like you say, the moderation needs to be mindful because it's so easy for people to use that as an excuse to just fucking cancel everyone, and then the then Twitter would be empty. I think it needs to be. I don't know if you agree, but I think it needs to be more preventative than it needs to be. What's the right word? Remedial, if you know what I mean. So, it, if you couldn't, if you couldn't get on in the first place, yeah. 
with an anonymous account that you knew that was obviously intended to cause mischief, and you could only sign up with an account that's meant to be the account of a, of a, of a genuine person. I think, as you say, you've already prevented a lot of the negative comments yeah, because but if, even if then, I, if who I was it? The, there was a guy I follow. There's a guy I follow on Sky Sports, or not Sky Sports, on Twitter who works for Sky Sports. I don't know if you follow him as well. His name's Keith Downey. He's um, the mm, Northeast. I've reporter. heard the name. So yeah. he reports on Newcastle, Sunderland, Middlesbrough, and. I'd fucking, I'd fucking hate to be him because he's reporting on two of the most banter clubs in the on on earth. But he he made that point of you know I've got thick skin doesn't bother me. But some guy replied to him, and some Sunderland fans weren't happy with what he'd said. And someone said he needs fucking knocked out left right good night etc. And Keith Dowdy was basically very deadpan. He's like it doesn't bother me, but this is the type of stuff that you know I can get quite regularly. Could upset like, some people, and sometimes it escalates to the point that there, there, there's vulnerable people out there that get these kind of things etc. And you know we've kind of touching on the Steve mm-hmm. Bruce thing. And that was from someone's public account saying, I'm going to knock you out. That was like a, a an actual act where handle he had his face in his profile picture. It wasn't like it was a, a son of the fan who had a picture of, mm. I don't know, I don't know what player you'd, like, you'd want to idolise at Sunderland right now because they're all fucking garbage. But he, he didn't have yeah. like a fake account. It was his genuine account. So I don't even think the, the actual eliminating the fake account is a thing that you need to, is preventative. I think that... If people know that, like, I, I, that's the thing I don't understand. Like, people know that you can be traced almost by anything now. You know, your debit card. You know, your debit card is now. I, I pay contactless on Apple Pay. My phone is linked to my social medias. You know, it's got my phone number. It's got all my contacts mm-hmm. in it. So mm-hmm. you know, I'm. You know, every transaction I do is through my phone, which is probably the most traceable thing on earth. Even like you've got people with the actual Twitter, like their actual Twitter handle is their name, and it's you know it might be their name and their date of birth or whatever. It's not like they're hiding behind a fan account. So I don't know if it's just down to Twitter not having, if it's actual like the legal remit where it's you know it's a legal thing where we can't ask for their driving license number, and we can't ask for their passport number because, um, it's a legal thing, or whether it's actually a, it's just like a financial thing. I don't know the right. I don't know if they actually have the physical, you know means to have enough staff just dedicated to deleting accounts that are filing death threats and they don't know if they don't know if they have the time to actually refer all of these credible death threats and credible hate comments onto the onto the police and things like that because i mean the internet is so vast there's like how i don't know how many there are how many people there are on facebook and twitter but it's probably like a billion and a half for each now so that's so many accounts to be trying to sift through. yeah it only takes one well, percent of them to be a norm, you- like enormous sorry yeah, I think the thing, like you say, there's the preventative side where if you got rid of all the anonymous ones, then you say, well, that's not going to get rid of everyone, but it, it's going to make the environment a little bit easier to moderate. And I think I think perhaps, you know, the guy who says he's going to knock someone out, it, perhaps he's doing that because there's so much of that about. And if the overall tenor of the conversation was different, he might check himself a bit more before he said that because actually the whole world is just behaving themselves a little bit more dignity, you know? Yeah. I, I don't I don't know how they fix it, but I think the overall moral of this podcast is just don't be an arsehole. Don't be an arsehole. Yeah. And fuck Richard Branson. That's all for this month's episode of Double Reel. Thanks for listening and for making it all the way to the end. Thanks also to my co-host, James Adamson. The podcast was edited and mixed with the help of Audacity, Anchor FM and Zencaster. 
As usual, anything that sounded good was down to them, and anything that sounded crap was down to us. The music was Mistake the Getaway by Kevin MacLeod. One Night in Miami is available to watch on Amazon Prime Video. Cinema showings are unlikely given the COVID situation, but a DVD and Blu-ray release should follow later this year. Online information on Spike Lee's Joe Lewis project is quite limited. The best way to find out more about it is to read Bud Schulberg's book Ringside, A Treasury of Boxing Reportage, which covers Joe Lewis and pretty much everything else that matters in the history of boxing. So this is me, James Adamson, signing off, and... This is me, James Adamson, signing off your next podcast episode will be our regular episode 11 next month keep an eye on the socials for any bonus or special episodes we decide to do in future if you enjoyed this podcast please like and subscribe and tell your friends until then stay safe watch lots of films and may your life be as awesome as you pretend it is on social media and it's been 816,796,248 seconds since Hans Zimmer last won an Oscar James Adamson, in conversation with James Adamson, brings to you the anal purging of the Pink Panther. (laughs) Right, so... I don't know where I was going with that. (laughs) Please take over. (laughs)